0: Hi, my name is G.V. Freeman, and welcome to Psychedelic IQ, a podcast devoted to offering grounded and practical wisdom for psychedelic practitioners. At Psychedelic IQ, we try and weave our way between the secular and the sacred, and we've set our primary intentions on improving positive outcomes, increasing safety, and building healthy community within the psychedelic landscape. If you enjoy the show, please remember to give us a positive review, and always remember, the path is wiser than the traveler. Today's episode is uh, maybe a little longer than normal, but packed with amazing content from probably one of the most experienced facilitators I've had the opportunity to work with, uh, not only in the medicine, but also with uh, the creation of Sanctuary, uh, one of the first and largest psilocybin churches uh, in the U.S., Uh, Eric Osborne uh, is the founder, along with his wife, and we get into a whole bunch of really great content, uh, not the least of which is the importance of a facilitator doing their own work, not only uh, in the medicine, but also out of the medicine. Uh, We talk about the concepts and some of the difficulties of the for-profit model versus the non-profit model. We look at uh, what Sanctuary is doing in a way that's so completely different than almost anyone else uh, out there right now. And uh, Eric's focus on community building and how important that is in the healing process uh, and how much effort their uh, sanctuary is spending in community uh, and training and outside of actually serving the medicine. Uh, I think at one point, Eric even mentions that in, in his mind, there's, they are 10 years away. What, what Sanctuary is doing is really 10 years away from where the community is at today. And in many ways, I have to agree with that. Um, the the forward thinking nature of what Sanctuary and Eric are doing uh, are really, really impressive. So Eric has more than 25 years as a personal practitioner and facilitator of psilocybin healing with a master's in education and 20 years of self-trained mycological expertise, having owned and managed three gourmet and psychedelic mushroom farms. Eric's primary goals are to educate members of sanctuary and the public at large on how to become self-empowered through the cultivation of and communion with sacred mushrooms through his history in the psychedelic retreat space As founder of the world's first psilocybin wellness retreat in Treasure Beach, Jamaica, he has experienced firsthand the power of psilocybin to expand consciousness and heal trauma, particularly in combination with community. A desire to build a sustainable, spiritually-based mushroom community is what brought him back to the United States to form Sanctuary with his wife, Courtney, Uh, and I, I am really excited to bring you Eric Osborne. Eric, thanks for joining us today on Psychedelic IQ. How's it going?
1: Hey, GV, I'm happy to be here, man. It's uh, been a roller coaster of a day, but I, this is—I uh, I suspect that this conversation will be the beginning of. A shift in momentum <laughs> let's let's hope
0: that that's true but let's, also... let's just let just,
1: let's just say I started out the day by killing a rat like that's the first thing that <laughs> happened this morning <laughs> i have I have never ever like live, uh, living on a farm everywhere i've lived i've never never seen rats, and we i guess there's like a a a big wooded area behind us here, and this is the second rat that I've caught and killed this year, which is, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's a thing. That is a thing.
0: (laughs) And you know what? If Nothing else. Um, I think that our, our daily lives oftentimes, uh, show us what a psychedelic experience, uh, emulates a lot more than we think it is the roller coaster of life.
1: I, I I tell people all the time in our, in our trainings, and I'm working with ministers and whatnot. I say, look, you want the, you want to be the best psychedelic facilitator you can be? Be the best person you can be, which means facing all the demons, all the challenges and reveling in all the joys and just being fully immersed in life, whatever it is, showing up fully.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I like to tell people a journey can either be heaven. It can be hell and everything in between. And I think that if we're doing our work, life tends to emulate that uh, Mm -hmm. a fair Mm -hmm. amount.
1: Can't be scared of the rats. you got to get in there and get rid of them sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. You can't be scared of the rats.
0: Uh, and sometimes we have to do hard things uh, in Indeed. in this plane and alternate planes. Indeed. Um, Indeed. Well, first of all, maybe tell listeners who you are and what you're working on today.
1: Oh, well, you know, who am I? That's, a, <laughs> that's kind of the perennial question, is it not? Um, in In this avatar, in the last 25 years or so, I have been – uh, heavily focused on facilitating psilocybin experiences that originally started with myself, I did a lot of private personal work for about ten years uh, before I ever started administering to anyone else and Once that took off i started i started a gourmet mushroom farm and was doing some underground psychedelic work there on the side and the mushrooms told me that I was going to start the uh, they told me that I was going to light the torch for the uh the lighthouse of Jamaica, which would be a uh, a calling card for uh, psychedelic liberation and i resisted and resisted and the mushrooms persisted and finally i gave in started myco meditations uh, facilitated um, well i worked with over a thousand people personally administered well over three thousand doses of psilocybin um and got tired of the corporate profit driven model uh you know putting Fill in the plains with the people so they could come and take mushrooms and, uh, you know, saw over over the span of this work, you know, how extremely important, actually essential to psychedelic healing a community is. And so we came back here and started Sanctuary Church, which is a, a very public uh, psilocybin church based out of kentucky but we've got members all over the country and actually we just had someone from guam join our church the other day so we're getting to be multinational we got some people in the uk and and switzerland as well so very cool today today what we're working on man there's a lot you know there's expressing to my wife courtney who is also a co-founder of the church um in our our meeting this morning, you know with a couple other members board members, how how much more immersive uh, this work is as in terms of a church than it was as a for profit thing, um, which is fine uh, but I think people, especially folks who are trying to start churches underestimate how um, involved this is. And yeah, so anyway, there's a lot we're working on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You've already given me about three different uh, paths to go down. But the first one that I want to go down, you said I did a lot of private personal work. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of folks that are listening to this podcast that may be coming straight out of a guide training program. Maybe they Mm -hmm. jumped online and they took something online. Maybe they come out of maps. Almost, not all, but almost all of those programs have no experiential component to them uh, built into the, to the program. I'm just curious, if you were speaking to folks coming out of those programs or folks going into them or therapists that might be wanting to do psychedelic work, what would you say to them when it comes to private personal work, specifically with uh, mushrooms or whatever medicine you choose?
1: Well, mushrooms have been my focus. Uh, I, I am very much a person who believes in in specialization. You know, I, I've got a lot of broad knowledge in different topics. I take other psychedelics for sure, uh, but when it comes to expertise, it's it's psilocybin for me at the moment uh, because of all of that personal work. And I truly believe that that is the single most important component in being an effective facilitator. And I believe that it goes much more beyond doing some, you know, two or three gram trips every six months or something, you know, uh, if you're going to be facilitating these experiences for people, then you really need to understand uh, how far they can go, how confusing and frightening they can be, how glorious and liberating they can be. And like you said, everything in between, uh, in Jamaica and and with sanctuary to some extent, but particularly in Jamaica, you know, we started that retreat center in 2013. Uh, and then a couple of years later, Michael Pollan's book came out and everybody got on the hype train. Uh, and I had the opportunity to work with a significant number of therapists and uh, practitioners who had gone through various trainings from CIIS uh, map stuff uh, across the board, really. Um, and that is the one most troubling, striking thing that I saw is that the vast majority of these people had zero to very little personal experience. And when I say little, I mean like under 50 trips, like this is not, this is, it's, we have this kind of, cultural belief that a psychedelic experience is a psychedelic experience. And they are, as I know, you know, uh, they are as variable as the individuals and the time and the day and every other factor that goes into this. Um, And so, you know, there were a a significant number of people who paid $10,000 to go through a CIIS training or whatever. They came down to Jamaica, they saw the reality of it and they were like, yeah, this is not for me, you know? And so there is, as someone who has been very passionate about this for a very long time, I think that it can often come across as I'm trying to gatekeep or scare people away. But that's not the case at all. I don't want to see people wasting a bunch of money and time in something that they are ultimately not going to be suited for or that they just don't have the passion. Because like you know, I know, if you don't have the, the real passion for the grueling, Aspect of this work for the hundreds, tens of thousands of hours that you will have to spend in very uncomfortable situations, sussing out rats, right, or dealing with all the nitty gritty that comes along with the generational trauma that we are all carrying. Uh, so your your own personal experience at uh, a you know, I know how says. Uh, Extensive experience at a wide variety of dosage levels uh, is absolutely crucial to being able to support somebody. You probably have seen this as well, that the the number one most important harm reduction um, thing that we bring into this, when someone looks at you and they're terrified that they're losing their mind, they're not going to come back, they're going to die – Whatever those extreme situations can be, and they will occur. If they look at you and they see an ounce of fear in you, then you have just escalated the, the, the potential for disaster. And so there have been so many times that people have said to me after an experience, the only thing that kept me from going off the rails is you looking at me and saying, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And, th- and knowing that you know that. You know, I've I've I've, I had a couple of therapists that I worked with over the years who, you know, that that you'd see that fear take hold in them. And, Uh, you know, this is not to criticize anybody at all, um, but it is a reality check that um, for one, we can only take people as far as we've been ourselves and for two our level of security, our internal level of confidence and security, that is the setting. That is the ultimate container. You know, that's how I've always perceived myself in this work, or not always, but as time has gone on and seen that, yeah, we've got this physical setting that we're in, but the space holders are truly that. They are the ultimate safety, and it's not from like what ritual you had in place. It's not from all the accoutrements that you have around. It's from your internal radiating sense of confidence and security in the process.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think that that what you just did was introduce a really uh, interesting facet of setting that nobody really talks about. That Mm -hmm. the facilitator, whoever is sitting there with you, is such an important part of how grounded a space feels. You can be in some beautiful Maloka in the jungle. You can be in a clinical setting, you know, in downtown St. Louis, but if the facilitator is ungrounded, then the space is fundamentally ungrounded. Absolutely. And, and I think that, like you said, when, when somebody looks at you with abject terror in their eye, if they see some tiny little piece of terror in your eye as a facilitator, mm-hmm. then that just begins to unravel the whole process. And if we Absolutely. haven't already been there, if we haven't experienced that sense of terror and know that we're, we will eventually come back mm-hmm. then the terror mm-hmm. only grows.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, that, that understanding can only come with, Thousands of hours immersed in the experience. I mean, you know, granted, most people, um, because we're having these conversations more publicly, and there um, is a little bit more opportunity for direct experience in a safe container, um, then it may be a little bit easier, I'd say it's significantly easier uh, for folks to come to that level of security within their own experiences but you know for my myself you know start i started taking mushrooms in 99 and i devoted myself to the mushroom from go i was like oh this is my this is my baby this is my home you know of course they have a a way of enticing you into the deeper waters (laughs) as you know um and uh there were there were hundreds of times where you'd have these confusing scary experiences you get out of them, and just like psychedelic experiences do, they—they, they, you know, the immediacy of it kind of fades away, and so you forget about a lot of the stuff, and then you go back into the space and you encounter the same thing, right, or similar, and because you didn't have a community or a container to process this verbally and to really understand it, really uh, more so than. You forget a lot of what you go into. And so then you're terrified again. You're like, oh, she's, oh, next time I'm going to remember. Next time i remember. And very often you don't, you know. Uh, so it's it's really tough to uh, kind of explain to people who are um, new to this world how, um, you know, despite these experiences being extremely profound and having a powerful, making powerful impressions on us, that the, the mechanics or the fundamentals of it can be very easily lost in the subconscious and so if you're going to be facilitating this work i have found to be extremely important to in my conscious waking hours to be reminding myself of the safety of these medicines to be reminding myself uh, that you know um i won't go completely insane forever because when you're you know when you're in that space and you're losing your shit like there's nothing that's going to tell you that you're not you're just gone you know, but if you can just if you can just really somewhere in your subconscious mind nurture that seed of safety, um, that that will go a long, long way. And so, yeah, the personal work I think is absolutely crucial uh, to facilitating work for others. And it's like this is also something that's not being talked about. Now, granted, we're in a place where <clears throat> we need we need access to these tools like yesterday, right? Um, But the reality is there's a reason why in indigenous societies you studied under someone for 10 years before you were administering them out to others independently. It is an extremely um, vulnerable, variable, and it takes a lot of personal practice to get any kind of sense of the landscape. That's been my experience. I'm sure there's other people that are uh, much more skilled than me and take it up quicker, though.
0: I'm just thinking about this a little bit because we're, we, we've we talked about this before, this idea of balancing accessibility mm-hmm. with the intersection of not only cost, but then training as well. And if we expect everybody out there to have years, thousands of hours, decades of training, studying either under a teacher or within a lineage, it really limits accessibility. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if there is, <clears throat> what your thoughts are if, if we say like, hey, if you want to go hang out in some training course and serve, you know, two, three grams of mushrooms, that's probably a reasonable, a, a more reasonable um, expectation that you're going to be able to handle whatever comes up. When you start getting, when we start moving in the into the transpersonal into way off uh, realms and different planes of reality, the experience that a journeyer can have on really high doses begins to demand a lot more experience from the facilitator and training. Would you say that's exactly. true?
1: I'd say that is generally true. Uh, now, I, I'm, I'm sure you know, I think you know that I, we were arrested. My wife and I were arrested in 2015 for underground psilocybin work here in the U.S. And what set that off uh, was actually a two gram dose that a friend of ours took. We had a two gram, a, a friend of ours, she was a, knew her for a couple of years, she came to us for an intentional ceremony. Uh, She took two grams, started to kind of you know, get into some rocky territory, was getting paranoid and whatnot, and she asked if she could go lay down in her tent, and she did. Next thing we know, despite us having her keys, she had a key magnetized under the bumper of her car, drove off, got into a little wreck, blah, blah, blah. She wasn't hurt, but the cops ended up coming a couple days later, raided my farm and everything, and and the rest is history. Uh, So while that is generally the case, even at those very low doses, there are individuals who will have a – uh, significant, paranoid, or otherworldly experience. So you know it's really hard. Even though I, I do it all the time too, uh, it's really hard to make generalizations within the psychedelic space, as you know. And I know you are not trying to do that. Know what I want to speak to, um, if I can, after that little bit of a warning is uh, that's exactly what uh, what you what you suggested <clears throat> is exactly what we have been implementing at Sanctuary. And this was the result of an LSD trip of mine about three or four months ago. You know, I had been continuing to follow this, um, you know, what I perceive as a restrictive model of, you know, if you want to be certified by me or my organization, then you need to be, uh, you know, really immersing yourself in deep dives and, and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, is that most people either don't want to, or are not cut out to be administering 8, 10, 12, 15 gram doses of mushrooms. Most people want to be able to take, you know, one to five grams of mushrooms on their own or in the company of some friends, you know, or in the company of some trained facilitator. And so what we did at Sanctuary after this LSD trip where it was like, you know, Eric, stop trying to be a funnel here and just open the doors. And so – that's what we've started. A couple of levels of minister training. Uh, the first one being what we call the "myself minister," uh, and that is focused on learning how to take low to moderate doses of mushrooms yourself or with another friend. You know, in a very low-key uh, environment, and then bring that information back into the community for processing and ongoing exploration. So, I think there is a middle ground here, um, but. Myself Now, I acknowledge that I have, because I have seen so much, even at significantly low doses, people have some really powerful and uh, sometimes terrifying experiences at those low doses. Um, I have at times, I think, erred too much on the side of caution. And that indicates, you know, um, I don't want to say a distrust in the medicine because that's not it. It's more of a... Desire just to keep people safe because that that is first and foremost, you know. And so I think that the way we're doing it now though uh, is doing just that. We're we're opening the door for people to have training and protection under the religious uh, freedom through sanctuary and work with these low to moderate doses. And then as time goes on, you'll start to see probably. Ten percent of those people will want to go on to do higher dose work, will want to go on to be of service to other people. Does it make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I you know, I just posted something on LinkedIn, I think, just yesterday that says there is no one right way to do psychedelics. And literally me saying what I just said is is sort of this we're lumping people into this sort of the dosage realm and saying with this relative amount of dosage, then you're going to have this kind of relative amount of experience. And I think it's, I appreciate you telling the story that like two grams can be Mm -hmm. just as powerful for one person as 10 grams can be for another. I've had people said in the church that have taken five grams and felt nothing. Oh yeah. Uh, and We talked to another guest in the first season about not only antidepressants and their muting effects, but also I find that high levels of, let's call it an addiction to control, uh, (laughs) high levels, high levels of neuroticism can really, I'm amazed at how powerful an individual's mind can be in stopping the effects of a mushroom. Or oh, absolutely really anything. I, I, and I've had, I've had experiences yeah. where I've taken a, a big cup of Wachuma and six, I was holding space for someone and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to have an experience tonight. No big deal. Just very light. And then six hours mm-hmm. later, I walk inside, we go back into yep. the house I lay down, I close my eyes. And then six hours later, I'm shot to the stars because mm-hmm. I was, my brain was holding space for somebody else. So we had mm-hmm. no idea what's going to happen.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I find that more so the case in folks who um, who are hyper 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 vigilant due to trauma. Like, there's a an individual that comes to mind that I work with who is a a very um, very influential person, uh, this uh, uh, female, and she <laughs> she. <laughs> She took 20 grams and she's like, Oh, that's my sweet spot. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, but that oh my god. I know we don't wanna we're probably not gonna get to the phenomenology so much, but her experience, this is something I've also seen uh in uh individuals with that um need for control due to uh previous trauma. And I have never heard this talked about in any literature, but I have seen it time and time again that the individual who does not perceive themselves as tripping, they will impact. They will intensify the experiences of those around them. It's almost as if their trip is happening externally. It's a very interesting phenomenon that I've so far have not seen or heard anybody else talk about.
0: It's almost like the the, the energy. If we talk about the, uh, the mushrooms or whatever psychedelic substance we're talking about, having a certain amount of of potential energy. And if that individual isn't ingesting or allowing that energy to flow through them, and they've mm-hmm. sort of put up that hypervigilant wall, really all that energy is just bouncing off of yep. that wall and, and moving into, the, into everybody else's experience. And I can, uh, I don't know if I've ever heard it discussed, but I can absolutely agree um, with the phenomenon. Uh, mm, 100%.
1: I also well th- and, th- and this is this is let me just say like with the space that you're providing for facilitators to share with other facilitators is sorely needed because these types of occurrences that other people have these experiences but we don't have a really a, a very vibrant community where practitioners can engage and and share information so I really appreciate you doing this
0: well and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing had you not spent you know, a couple of hours with me, a couple of a year, maybe two years ago now. I can't remember when we met in uh, mm. in Louisville. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about not only your personality, your experience with uh, with being incarcerated for a certain period of time and then realizing there's another way to do it. <clears throat> There is a legal path to make this happen. Uh, and your willingness to share a lot of what you've already been through, I think is a huge benefit to the community. And, you know, I also know that you tend to press buttons uh, <laughs> in, in, your, in your approach. And, and we, might, we might talk about some of that, even hearing, like, I, I got to be honest when you're like, oh, 20 grams, that's my sweet spot. There's a part of me. That says like, oh, there's something there's something in me that makes that feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't get to make that decision. Mm.
1: Well, you know, and that individual I've been working with for two years, we've graduated doses over time. You know, she is actually because of my sense of her hypervigilance. She was the I, I dosed her higher. Than anyone I ever had at a first-time dose, which was nine grams. Um, but I was extremely confident after you know all those years that I was going to be able to manage her nine-gram dose, and I was. She was miserable as I expected. You know, it was a detox or whatever. Um, and I guess like, you know, I guess I take for granted a lot of times my own depth of experience. You know, we all live in our own freaking bubble. You know, and I'm just like, why doesn't everybody else see the same thing that I see? Uh, but you know, the reality is, I've spent Tens of thousands of hours in this space, um, and very often feel like we have um, we're 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 here. We're getting a lot of information. We're getting a lot of of how tos from folks who have relatively little actual experience, and that's. I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. That's a fucking problem. I totally agree.
0: Thank you. Thank you for saying it, and I am in a hundred percent agreement that. I appreciate, I love the fact that we can do research and we can throw people in an fMRI machine and we can see what a 20, 25 milligram dose of psilocybin is doing to the brain and we can see what's happening. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. But there is so much more that happens in an experience that an fMRI machine is never going to measure. Mm -hmm. And there are pieces of ourself that can get lost. Out there. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. if you don't have somebody who can help hold the ground and bring you back, um, it gets to be a really scary place. I I think that some of the reasons why I have been able to do even deeper work is, as I've been working with my teachers in Peru, I know that he knows the way home. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. And because of that, it allows me to let go even more. Yep. So... The more experience we go back to this first point, the more experience you can do on your own, or or the deeper experience you can do on your own or with other people is going to make you a better facilitator. Without absolutely, a doubt.
1: absolutely, and I think and there's also, you know, like this individual that I'm mentioning, you know, not only did we graduate her dose over time, but we have a rapport. I took 15 grams with her when she did the twenty the 20 gram dose. She's the only person who I've ever allowed to dose me. In 25 years, I have never allowed anybody to pick my dose of mushrooms. And after all this time working together, I said, "Look, you know what? This is a special. This is a special event right now. I want you to pick my dose." And she's like, "15 grams." I like, "All right, let's do it." <laughs> and it was a ride.
0: <laughs> if I if I had to wonder about you triggering people, uh, like we probably just started doing it, um, and I think that that in and of itself is that's a big point of contention like oh should the facilitator be in the same space as the journeyer who is holding the ground how safe is everything and that's a whole different conversation i think but yeah for but sure. I, for sure but to your point there is experience there there is a rapport already built you knew what your tolerance was you knew what she was going into and there's so many factors that are not discussed when we're talking about these things um, in the clinical way that we're talking about them right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that we need to save a little more room for
1: spirit uh, in all the work that we're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So something that I saw you post online uh, not long after we had gotten back from Denver, was it was a picture that says, if it is your calling, it will keep calling you. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what, like how that intersects with people that are really on, you also mentioned the hype train. So we have a lot of folks on the hype train right now saying, I'm going to go get trained. I'm going to start serving psychedelics. That's one path. I think we also have another path that I frequently hear about people saying, oh, I took a dose of mushrooms, my first dose of mushrooms and the mushrooms told me that I need to start serving the mushroom." Mm -hmm. Um, what's your, what would you say to folks that are really interested in the work and how serving or maybe how becoming a practitioner is different than being a calling?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I guess the first thing I would like to say is that I tried, I tried to get away from this. I tried for years. This was it was too big for me. This was too big of a mountain for me to climb in facilitating these experiences for others or at least that's how I perceived it, right? And I I I legitimately went for about 5 years of like feeling this one part of me feeling like you've got to help others get access. You've got to support people in this work got to support people in this space and the other half of me being like no it's too much i can't i can't do this and so it the mushroom hunted me down there is no two ways about it there's no two ways about it and i i think that there is it's really important for everybody to to do the best they can to really ensure that this is not just another kind of flippant career choice you know we are so accustomed to that in this culture where we see something somebody's doing something that they really enjoy and that looks cool and so we're like oh well then i'll just go do that right we have a disposable culture in a lot of ways and if the psychedelic space becomes another kind of space place for disposable um um, job market or however we want to call it then we're actually going to end up doing an incredible disservice to the humans that we are here to be of service too, right? So it is long, grueling work that you are not the focus of. If like There have been so many hours, so oh, many hours that I've spent with people in very dark, solemn, challenging spaces, and nobody will ever see that. God alone is the only one that sees that. I will never be financially compensated to the extent that I have worked, period. I will never get the the whatever, like, like a notoriety or and I don't care. That's fine because I'm not in this for the notoriety. I'm in this to help people and to do the work. And so, you know, I just think like um, it's really it's 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 unlike any other career that I know of offhand, especially if you approach it from the standpoint of uh, which I do believe is is really valuable uh the standpoint of go entering the space with the individual uh you know we don't have to talk about that because it is a whole big other conversation in and of itself Um, but for long term i believe for long term um commitment to this work you will eventually have to get into the place where you can be of service while under the influence or however you want to kind of term it of the substance themselves, because that is, this is what I think, particularly in the clinical setting and some of the kind of modern work that's happening around this, that is the next level. You, you can't, if you, if you go into this work and you're helping people and you're just administering mushrooms or whatever the substance is, and you're just there holding space, trip sitting, however you want to call it, you're going to hit a plateau. You're only going to be able to be so effective. As time goes on, you will need to go into deeper waters so that you can wade out there with other people. Um, so I know I don't think that really answers your question super well, um, but this is this is not a career like anything else. It's not something like if people just pick this up and hang a shingle on their door that they're going to be a psychedelic therapist or whatever, and all of a sudden we've got you know a, a million facilitators out there. And then five years later, we have, you know, 100,000, then we're going to end up back in the same kind of experience gap. So I just want to see people coming into this work that are really committed to being of service to the community that they are with um, and for that to be for a long term commitment, not just another flash in the pan sort of deal. Does that make sense?
0: It makes perfect sense. And I think that you hit it in the very beginning, um, this idea that the mushrooms just kept calling you, like you couldn't mm-hmm. avoid it. And mm-hmm. I also think that the idea of a disposable culture and the way that our, we're set up right now, maybe more so than any other time in in the history of the normal nine to five of working somewhere for one to three years and then like going to the next thing. Yeah, for sure. And this doesn't feel like the same kind of job. Uh, we, we go into such different space. Such I like to, when I'm working with clients, I like to say a lot of times your therapist may be standing at ground level and looking down at you in the hole mm-hmm. saying, hey, like, here's an arm. I'd be happy to help you out. Um, but let's talk about why you're in the hole and how you might be able to get yourself out of there. And in psychedelic work, what I find most often is that we jump in the hole with our clients. Mm-hmm. And we just ha- – one of us has to remember to bring a ladder. Uh, and it's our responsibility as the facilitator to bring the ladder uh, yeah. so so we can both get out. But yeah. I oh, do <laughs>
1: Go ahead, sorry,
0: <laughs> I do think that it is there is a difference between a career and a calling. And I think that a calling keeps calling you back. Mm-hmm, and if mm-hmm. you're diving into this world with the sole intention of being like doing the cool new thing. Like mm-hmm. we, we've mm-hmm. even seen AI chat GPT got released six, six, eight months ago. I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. And now people are like, Oh, AI is going to like, all of these things are just going to, they're going to go by the wayside. It's not really as important. And I think that there's going to be a lot of people that come in and out of the psychedelic industry and landscape. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I agree. You know, like a certain extent of that's inevitable and you know, it probably rains on some parades to hear me talk like this, but I, it's like, It's way better to like get your parade rained on and cancel the parade than to go like down the parade and end up in a fucking fire at the end of it. You know what I'm saying? So like, let's just be realistic here. Let's really try to wrap our heads around what this involves, which is a big part of like why I educate the way I do. um, Because the majority of the other voices out there right now are saying, "Ah, psychedelics, this is the future of mental health. I agree. It is the future of mental health, but only because it's going to be the future of spiritual health, you know, first and foremost. I mean, that's, you know, you said it so well, like leaving room for spirit and a calling comes from spirit. A calling comes from source higher than you. Right. A career, that's your little brain thinking, oh, this looks fun or this looks like a way to make money or this looks like a way to get some status. You know, that's not what this is about. You will spend thousands and thousands of hours unrewarded. With the with the good work being its only reward, it's like that, that metaphor of the pit. Like how many times I've been with people and I'm like, ah, fuck! All right, I didn't want to go down this pit. I didn't want. I've, I've been in that hole many times, and I didn't want to go down that hole tonight. But you're down there, so here I come with you. Let's go. Let's do the yep. hole you now. And if you, if you don't find that enjoyable, I mean, I, I do. I I find eventually it takes it takes some. You know, you gotta get over the hump of all right. We're going into the swamp right now. But once I'm down in the swamp and we're slaying alligators and climbing out with our grappling hook or whatever, I'm like, "Oh, this is fucking fun! <laughs> I live for this shit." So if you don't, if you don't live for that kind of experience, then yeah, you might find something else to do, or or it can be just like something that you do to support others who are really immersed in the space. You know, everybody doesn't have everybody. Every facilitator doesn't have to be like a full on immersed in that world you can be a support to facilitators who are but maybe we leave that deeper harder longer work to those who you know have more of a calling i think about this this a lot of times from uh uh f, f uh, ethnobotanist ethnographer kathleen harris uh heard you probably know kathleen i heard her name um, but she said in one of her writings and she talked about how you know in mexico for instance You would go into the markets and, you know, your fruit vendors and all these people that are, and then like you go to the shaman and you find out that the shaman was the guy that was selling bananas down at the market, right? They're not being a shaman because they're making money. They're being a shaman because that is what they were called to do. And then they go sell bananas or whatever the hell it is. You know, I got other projects that I work on that are not psilocybin related in hopes to generate revenue for my family because- this psychedelic work, despite the hype, it's not gonna pay. It's not gonna be the thing that, long term, I don't think anyway, uh, feeds your family and 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 uh, you know grows your personal economy. Yeah.
0: Let's let's shift maybe. Let's. Uh, I think you've led us right into a perfect segue of profit versus nonprofit and how peace sanctuary has begun positioning itself with your guidance and uh and the, the other folks in the church around a different way to think about psychedelics and a different model about how we can approach this
1: mm-hmm. uh so so sanctuary um i am like you know you you said it before we started the call like it's probably confusing to a lot of people what we're doing and how we're doing it because right now the paradigm is still very much wrapped up in the uh, kind of the couch therapy, right This is how you do it. You go pay per hour for your therapist or your sitter or whatever. And uh, there's so many there's so many aspects of this that I could go into, but you know the, I think the most apparent is that for psychedelics to have a lasting impact, then they need to be incorporated as part of your lifestyle. This is not a one-and-done experience. First and foremost, they also, to have lasting impact, have to be incorporated into a community model. I spent so much time in Jamaica dosing people. If they'd come down. They'd take three doses in a week. They'd have a wonderful, huge experience or challenging. Blah blah blah. They go through it. Excuse me. And then they feel great coming out of it. And they'd go back into their home life with you know the regular mundane life, and within six months they're back to where they were, and that's that's how these medicines work. Very, very seldomly, despite what we hear in you know these highly publicized articles, very seldomly does someone have a single psychedelic experience that then transforms their life forever. And so this is something that is like it's a it is a. It's a part of a healthy lifestyle, which means that you're going to want or need to revisit it, you know, with some regularity. For most people, it's probably about every three to six months. You know, I think like depends on where you're at in your trauma recovery, your depression, et cetera, et cetera, your spiritual malaise. Um, you know, that frequency is is significantly variable. So if you are someone who like is very, very traumatized, has a lot of stuff to work through, then you might benefit from a once a month dose for a year, right? go and try pay five to $7,000 for that. Right. Which is kind of like, that's the retreat rate. Um, and then to see people go back into communities that are just kind of like running humdrum, you know, re-traumatizing or at least not continuing to unbury, uh, is, um, it's not helpful. It's not helpful if any, to say the least. Um, so the, Profit-driven model, where I always felt icky, is that um, it's hard for people to not become a commodity. It's hard. It's very difficult when you've got to have a sustainable business and we have this you know, uh, view of ever-growing economy. Your retreat center has to keep growing. You've got to have a new location in Spain next year and you've got to have a place in oregon when they open up and all that and we already saw what happened to uh synthesis right i mean boom that's a great example of why and how this for-profit model is going to overstretch itself particularly in the legal environment that we're in when you're trying to do a non-religious you know secular whatever for-profit thing uh so you know I just personally feel like it is unsustainable for an individual uh, to be shelling out that much money for a psychedelic experience. Uh, it sets people up for significant disappointment to find that, oh, wait, you mean this one time isn't going to fix me? Like this, my first mushroom trip sucked and now I got to do it now. I got to pay another $6,000. What? Um, and then the reality of that, like <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, like, this is not a, it's not a personal criticism to any Therapist or anybody that's out there working with these medicines. But the real long term growth comes from being in a community of people who are doing the work themselves and are reflecting back at you on a regular basis, your personal growth. Right. And so that's what I feel like we are doing so supremely well at Sanctuary is that we are building an, a very vulnerable community that consists of therapists. It consists of medical practitioners. It consists of regular everyday people. It consists of people who are highly experienced with psychedelics and not so experienced with psychedelics. And so to have that, um, you know, dynamic perspective share from all of these people helps members, it helps individuals understand that the psychedelic process itself is a very long process that can encompass. The rest of your life and that it is a process that does not benefit from i mean it does benefit but you don't get the most benefit from like you know once a week going into talk, talking to a therapist about this psychedelic experience that you had six months ago or whatnot it really benefits from these dynamic conversations what we see that is just like the most encouraging thing and what expedites the healing in people so much because, like I said, we all live in a bubble. I don't care how many psychedelics you take. To some extent, your default mode network is going to come back in online, and you are going to live in your own little personal bubble. And it's going to be really difficult for you to see the progress that you've made. And you, me, we become self-critical. We become self-doubting. We think, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not making any progress." But when you have five other people who have been in the community with you for six months or a year, and they're like, "Dude, you have grown so much," that affirmation that validation which we all need i get so tired of this kind of bullshit agenda saying that you don't need external validation the fuck you don't we we are reflections of each other and for each other and it is so incredibly valuable and beautiful for someone who is in the pit of their own turmoil to hear from someone else say hey i know you don't feel like you're growing but we are seeing you grow just keep it up keep coming back we're here with you, like money cannot take the place of that. And so it's, it's funny. Like I kind of joke at myself. I was joking at the church, people in the church the other day, how like I'm this perpetual entrepreneur, but like everything, everything that every idea that I come up with is a way for me to not make money.
0: (laughs) I understand this. I understand this very well. Um, you, You know, I think there's a, There's so many things that you just talked about that were really impactful for me. One is I think that it bears repeating. The longer I do this work, the more I realize how little, how little actual healing happens in the experience itself. Like we don't have these silver bullet journeys. Like when you, when you watch, how to change your mind on Netflix and people see these people that walk out, they come up on the camera and they say, I have this one experience and it completely changed my life. And I think that it's, it's setting expectations in such a horrible way that we as facilitators end up spending a ton of time decreasing or resetting expectations. But what I've found now as the more I do this work is how much awareness we get New and deeper awareness that happens in the experience. And then it's my responsibility to take that awareness, drop into a community. So if we look at like in the Eastern traditions, whether it's you know the satsang or the sangha, but being able to show up in those communities without psychedelics and to interact with people in this plane of reality and see where my reaction, see where my triggers are still at. And I'll be like, son of a bitch. There it is again. There's that anger. I just got frustrated. I got cut off in traffic. But now with a little deeper awareness, I can start making changes. I can see the behavior without getting triggered quite as quickly. And that is absolutely where community is coming from. This is where people are doing the true healing, uh, is sitting inside of community and also giving each other the grace to say, wow, you really just hurt my feelings, but I know that you're doing the best you can. And I know that I'm doing the best I can. So let's go to our respective corners for a little bit. Let's cool down. And then when we're ready, when we've come back and, and we're sort of even keeled again, we can come back and, and do the rupture, or the repair that that is repairing that rupture that we had. But we can't do that in the middle of a psychedelic journey. We have to do that in this plane of reality with people that we're in community with.
1: Yep. So I really and, and, appreciate all of that. Can't do it in isolation in our own, our own home. You know, it ha- we, ha- we have to, and that's, that's much harder for many people uh, than taking psychedelics as putting themselves vulnerable in front of community. But that is the payoff. This the payoff.
0: Right. How is sanctuary facilitating that? How are you modeling it today?
1: Probably 25, if, if 25% of what we do is mushrooms, probably more like 10% of what we do is mushrooms. We have so many different community events virtually and in person, uh, that we facilitate our Sunday services, I am continued to be amazed by what people share that they get out of those services. It's, it's all online zoom thing. People from all over the country, uh, we're getting 70, 80 people come in per Sunday at this point, it's growing every week, um. And those who are coming and sticking around for months and months and months, uh, they continue to report back that sense of being seen, being heard in a community. And then, because we are we're growing so quickly, uh, locally for sure, but also nationally, we're starting to see people meeting up in physical form in uh, you know Florida and Arizona and Seattle and blah 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 um and so you know that's just what we 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 preach it and we practice it man um next tomorrow night i lead a uh, local community circle where people just come together and we're going to be talking about definitions and how our definitions of life really uh define our experience and so my wife does uh, women's circles uh monthly we just we do a ton of uh, things and we're also like this is where i feel like it's really uh we're really getting to the gold here is where members come in and share their skills, talents, passions with the others. So we do every week we have a a growing number of online workshops that members lead. And so like different topics and whatnot. And that's been really powerful uh, because again, as you uh surely know that the more we bring our gifts to the world, the more we share our calling with the world, then like that actually heals us. It, uh, healing and being of service to others is really what heals us. And so that's another part of this conversation that I don't know is really being had enough um, because it still feels extractive. The, the way that we're approaching psychedelics as a culture feels like, what do the mushrooms have to give to me And I like to suggest to people going into a mushroom trip, like what are you bringing into the space is every bit as important as what you hope to get out of it. If not more so.
0: You're also setting people up, I think to be able to support other people to setting up community members to be able to support other community members even in the experience with psilocybin. Correct?
1: Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. You're building that rapport. You're building that level of experience, just in engagement and facilitation, you're understanding people where they're at. And so, you know, like these minister programs, we have four levels of ministry. We have the subtle sacrament ministry, which is microdosing. um, And then we have the, what we call the myself minister, which is learning to just facilitate for yourself to be, you know, to, to work with the medicine yourself at low, moderate doses. We have what's called the friends and family ministry, which then trains and ordains people to administer sacrament to those who they are close with and who they have a relationship with already, still focusing on low to moderate doses. Uh, and then we have the communal community ministership, which is actually kind of divided off into a few subcategories because that's where it starts to get really, really different and I mean real different when you start dosing the public, people that you don't know, and you have maybe sometimes an hour to really build a rapport with someone. Like you, you, you've got to be working on multiple levels at one time. You've got to have a you know a much bigger picture and a much wider breadth of experience to be able to facilitate that kind of work.
0: What you just shared with me, one of the things that I noticed a lot that was discussed in Denver psychedelic science was this conversation around equity equity and accessibility. Mm -hmm. And that even if we take like, one of the things that I struggle with a lot is we take these scientific uh, research models with multiple pre-work sessions, multiple integration sessions, uh, two full psilocybin journeys, we're talking hundreds of hours potentially, plus two facilitators. And then, if we apply that, which is a grant funded model, if we apply the best case or the the best practice scenario that has been funded by grant dollars, and then we apply that to the world that we live in, which is like pay for service, you know, trading (laughs) dollars for hours. Now we have three to five to $10,000 experiences. And the first thing that we hear is, well, that's not accessible. That's not accessible to anybody. Like, you're right. And I totally agree. Yeah. But, but what I just heard, you guys are spending, Sanctuary is spending 90% of your time in building community, training, helping people become familiar with each other, with themselves, and to provide really, really accessible community support for each yep. other to do their own work.
1: 100%. 100%. We, I, I, did, I just uh, uh, had another another idea to lose money the other day, which I am super excited about. <laughs> um, we, we, we are, we are going to be, and this, this is pu- first time ever public use, uh, poor man's trademark right here. We are going to be having uh, in October a, a what we call a celebration. And what that is, is we have invited all of our uh, 80 plus ministers uh, who have been through a training to come and have a camping Retreat that again triggers. Look out where potentially everyone is taking mushrooms. Now we're going to cap the dose. It's going to be no more than three grams, right? Um, It's going to be a very intentional setting. But as I truly believe, is the future of this work is it's just people being there for each other. And you absolutely, one hundred percent, with experience, training, and support, and other experienced people around you, you absolutely can take mushrooms with your community. Everyone can take mushrooms with a few general parameters in place. Be safe, enjoy yourself, and grow. We've, is it not just like it's insane that we talk about like you got to have a DD, but nobody ever says when you go out drinking, make sure there are three people sober for every 10 people that are drinking right? Like alcohol is is so much more unpredictable. It's so much more volatile than psychedelics. Maybe not unpredictable. There's some nuance there. Um, But, you know, because it's a socially accepted substance and we just like everybody knows how to get drunk, you know, then it's okay for everybody to go out drinking together as long as someone's driving you home. But if I say we're going to have 50 people come together or 30 people come together And everybody's going to take one to three grams of mushrooms. There's going to be somebody that's like, oh, this is unsafe. This is a danger. This is a threat. It's not. These substances are so much safer. They're so much safer. And this, this, I think, really highlights the damage that the drug war did. The education, the miseducation that we are going to still be decades in reprogramming. But, you know, that's a big part of what Sanctuary is doing. We're going to be documenting this stuff. We're going to be showing people that you can safely and effectively have Group therapy, group experiences, group celebration, using these very sacred medicines.
0: Hmm. Beautiful. Tell me, uh, since again another good transition. Tell me how you are approaching harm reduction and safety.
1: Well, that's just it. As much education, I mean, I, I in the education that I do, I usually start out with. This is the crazy shit that can happen, right? I want people to know that, yes, these are safe medicines, but there is a certain percentage of the time that it can go off the rails. And there are parameters, there are ways that you can mitigate that. Um, But first and foremost, have a deep respect for these medicines, deep respect, and know that they, it can turn on a dime, right? So- I think knowing that the, the 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 real education, the true truthful education, I think is crucial to this. And then again having your own personal experience, there is no there there is no greater element to harm reduction than a facilitator having their own extensive experience and then having an ongoing supportive network or community however you want to term it. If, if you knew how many times already at Sanctuary, we've had people who uh, were brand new to psychedelics. I'm thinking of one gentleman in particular up in New York. He's brand new to psychedelics. He went through our minister program. He did a two-gram dose. It was really challenging. He had a lot of uh, history of trauma and loss and whatnot. And he went to his therapist, and his therapist couldn't do anything with it. <clears throat> but he came back into Sanctuary, came back into our, our community, and shared his experience and has made – several pretty drastic positive life changes. Uh, so I, I don't know, like the the harm reduction conversation itself, I kind of think that we're still approaching that <clears throat> in an outdated kind of way of thinking, right? Um, and this is something that I want to spend more time trying to articulate. Uh, but But really what it comes down to, again, is – An absolute respect for these medicines, the personal direct experience in the context of a knowledgeable and supportive community. And then knowing your chemistry, don't mess around like there's certain psychedelics that, you you know, you got to know, you got to know the chemistry there because there are some some dangers.
0: I'm going to pick up on this celebration. So if I if I imagine 80 people showing up one Mm -hmm. to three grams all kind of doing their own thing. Um there's a there's an element of this that feels like like an intentional music festival. <laughs> so oh, cool. a, lot, a lot of people showing up, having a good time, and I love the fact I think that we can we can absolutely have an intention that is pointed towards joy and celebration and our intention doesn't have to mm. always be Gestalt moments of tears and crying and trauma release. We can we can use these substances to have a lot of fun. And laughter is some of the best medicine that I've ever experienced uh, on 50 micrograms of LSD. <laughs> that
1: that is a tough thing to sell to people. We have this belief that you've got to suffer to grow. And while, yeah. you know, there it's gonna be there. You're gonna experience that. And yes, you do need to be able to uh find comfort with discomfort. Um but, you know, our world is as we perceive it. And so if we can begin reframing our world and we can begin understanding that, you know, life is on our side and that there are reasons to be joyful and begin focusing on joy and gratitude more so than focusing on the pain of the past, it, it might be, uh, yeah, it might expedite some healing for us. I've certainly it's it's an interesting place you know in being with walking people through um those places of pain, knowing that on the end is joy, knowing that on the end is freedom, and that there is the potential to circumvent all the bullshit by focusing on the joy and the freedom right so anyway that's a a big big thing but yeah uh, there's more that I could go into this celebration we've got some other kind of Uh, guardrails in place that I think are going to be interesting to present to the public as ways to uh, ensure safety. Uh, But I'm going to hold off on that because uh, once it's executed and we can share this out people are going to be like, Oh, that's how we do this. So, you know, and it's not like, it's not like Eric is really creating anything new. These are just, these are things that we have actually been doing since the cave, you know, since the cave paintings with mushrooms on them. and, and, you know, a, one of our members, one of our ministers, Tristan Harris, I'll give you a little shout out there, my man. He said to me after his first uh, retreat that he worked with Sanctuary, he said, um, you know, like, and this guy was trained to be a doctor. He left He left medical uh, to come um, be a part of Sanctuary and help facilitate this and, and seeing this point of access as the future. And he said, like, you know, like, there's a lot of um, kind of talk about how we're taking psychedelics out of the medical model. Like we're taking, but the truth is the medical model is taking the psychedelics away from the spiritual model. Spiritual psychedelic practice, celebratory psychedelics came long before uh, this kind of clinical, sterile thing. And so I I thought that is a really helpful way for me to reframe this kind of, like, you know, I do get a little uh I guess defensive is the word you know sometimes i feel like this is this is our god given human right and we have another example of an institution that is these you know ivory tower people telling us to how to do this thing that we've been doing since forever like no it's it's not that difficult and what's also not pointed out in a lot of these instances you know you're talking about the research like i know from working with researchers that they cherry-pick the people who they're going to have, and they don't report a lot of the negative outcomes. There have been people in clinical trials who have taken their own lives afterwards because they had one experience that that highlighted their depression rather than relieved it. They knew that the next time they went into the clinic, they might get the placebo, right? And that, is a, that is a, presents a very hopeless situation. Uh, and so I, I just, I am someone who believes in full transparency, full reporting. I am not perfect. I've got my shadow. And if I didn't have my shadow and I wasn't able to confront it publicly, then I'm shit for a psychedelic leader. Period.
0: Beautiful. I, I'm remembering a phrase, and I don't know where this came from exactly, but somebody said to me, psychology thinks that there is no solution to the problem and spirituality thinks that there is no problem. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. if we can start from a place of wholeness and like we have, we all have a yearning to get better. There's no shoulds, there's no need tos. But if we start from this place of wholeness and we have the yearning to improve, that's such a much more manageable and happy place. Like my teacher's, My teachers in Peru were the first people out of almost 15 years of doing internal work, therapy, psychedelics, all sorts of stuff. My teachers were the first ones who said, G.V., healing can be sweet and easy. Mm. And I was sitting at at, at Ollantaytambo outside of Cusco in the Sacred Valley. And I and I remember looking at Roberto saying, what? (laughs) Sweet and easy. That's we have no model for sweet and easy in Western healing. It's pain and gestalt moments and crying and like tearing down all of these walls, which are really hard. So I think there's there are so many things that we can we can learn if we would just be willing to adopt a little more sacred into our secular. Um, I, uh, I'm curious, uh, two things that we can, then we can start wrapping up. One is I want you to talk a little bit about the work you're doing with, uh, upcoming, maybe death doulas, maybe just share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's actually some of the most exciting stuff that we're doing. Um, so I've done a lot of, or a fair amount of end of life, uh, psychedelic work, uh, the end of last year, uh, helped, uh, one of Kentucky's first black surgeons transition, Actually. did a couple of mushroom trips with him. One while he was literally on his deathbed, um, and uh, facilitated uh, yeah some other work for him as well. But um, uh, Welby Winstead that um, that really inspired me to uh, take our ministry in a, in uh, that direction. So we have a number of ministers who have either gone through death doula training or are currently going through death doula training. And they will be applying those uh, that education to folks who are terminally ill. We have one one uh, ceremony scheduled on the books for two weeks from now. A stage four cancer patient who uh, this is the first instance of a minister who is not me that will be doing the work, uh, which is another really exciting aspect of this. Um, and uh, you know, it's still kind of in the in the developmental phases as we kind of really build out our particular protocol. Um, But I think this has the potential to really shake things up uh, in the psychedelic space. Um, There is, in the people who I've worked with uh, who were terminal, every single one of them has said that the, the psilocybin experience that they had prior to passing was what made their experience special. Otherwise, it would have been a clinical, depressing, sad. Um, and you know, Welby, one of the things he said to me after his after one of his experiences, as he came out of it, and he said, you know, he was he was tearful, uh, but he said, you know, Eric, I just like everything's going to be okay. I know that. I know that it's good. God. I can feel it, it's the chills, um, and to provide that for someone as they and and their families, you know, his his. Uh, spouse was there with him as well and they shared those experiences together and to be able to provide that sense of relief there is nothing i have found that is more rewarding um so it's it's gonna be a really uh, i think it's gonna have a high impact um as it expands out yeah
0: i personally have a Uh, what might be called an overburdened character strategy. I tend to take more responsibility uh, on for my mistakes than Mm. I probably should. Mm. And I, so the reason why I'm saying this is that there, I just experienced something shift in your energy uh, when you were talking about that. And I also realize how much of what you and, sanctuary are doing that doesn't yet exist Mm -hmm. and how does it like how do you personally feel on a daily basis walking into the unknown honestly in, in some ways walking into an unknown from a practices and protocols perspective, from a training perspective that doesn't exist anywhere. Nobody's telling you how to do this. You're you're it's coming from a place deep within. You're also walking into places that um, have yet to be legally adjudicated. Like we have some laws on the books that don't exactly pertain to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. How does it feel? To sit in your shoes on a daily basis,
1: stand wow, in your maybe, shoes. <laughs> that's 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 maybe one of the uh, I guess most uh, thoughtful questions anyone's ever asked me. Honestly, GV, um, it's a roller coaster. You know, as just as you just experienced there, you saw that I went from being like very hype and excited about this to the solemnness of it, and because there is, there is, and that's that's one of the beauties of these uh, sacraments is that they. They contain the breadth of the human experience and um, you know i go through I, I go through a fair amount of ups and downs um, and there's some chat. there is some personal egoic challenge in um, you know the the um, lack of adequate financial compensation and uh, the fact the fact that I am very often singled out as a, or I have been historically, um, in the psychedelic community, been singled out as this perceived renegade or whatever. Like I'm just doing what I want to do, which is not the truth. I mean, I'm doing what I feel is right. And like nobody, I don't even know the, like my whole internal world, really like it. So, but like the, the folks who, um, kind of are skeptical or point a finger at what I do. Um, just like that 20 gram dose, like there's a, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's happened that's led me to confidently being in that place. Um, and so it's, it's weird, man, you know, like starting that retreat in Jamaica, I recognize personally, that was the world's first public psilocybin mushroom retreat, period. Um, and I was smuggling mushrooms to Jamaica to make that thing happen. And it had a, it had a huge impact on the psychedelic culture. Um, And, you know, that may never really be fully recognized and that's, and that's okay. And I, 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 you know, I just, I think that I continued to come back to that. There is in every one of us, we are not who we think we are. We are, We are spirit embodied. And so I try to maintain that perspective um, that this is not Eric. This is something that is happening through the being that is perceived of as Eric and whatever challenges I face uh, that I have unlimited support. Being in the last few years, five to seven years, having these undeniable um, encounters with the, quote, spirit world has also affirmed to me that I have that we all have assistance beyond this physical realm and that we can more and more trust the process, just let go and to the greatest ability we can enjoy the ride. And so I I do find myself in that ego mind, either getting defensive or getting sad or getting, you know, on the roller coaster of emotions at times. Um, but overall I can, I can look back and know that I've done good work and that I have had, uh, I've helped a lot of people and I, that's That's what I continue to do, and that's all I really desire to do you know uh so that that's a that's a big question that I have never really given much thought to and I really appreciate you giving me some uh some opportunity to reflect on that
0: I'll go one step deeper since you brought it up. what would you say to the critics or the naysayers that says you're going too big too fast uh, too too whatever Uh, what would you say to some of those folks now Hmm. you might be right (laughs) Oh, wow. <laughs> that is so not no, what I thought you uh, were going to say. But I
1: I, 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 really, well, I mean, I, I, I do find myself like saying like, all right, put the brakes on things a little bit because I like I've, I've been saying this. I, I remember saying this to my children when I was arrested. Uh, there was a point where, you know, my ex-wife was just doing everything she could to take my children from me after being arrested. And there was all this backlash from family and whatnot. And I was just in this but this fit of like, of like knowing. And I said to them, like, I am living just because I'm living 20 fucking years in the future. Doesn't mean that it's wrong. Right. Just because you don't get it. And, and I kind of still like, in some ways think that, and I, it's, I, I, I think I, I feel pretty confident that, that sanctuary we're, we're 10 years ahead of what's, what's already happening. You know, um, so I guess it's just like, I, 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 I wanted to say, but I didn't want to, I wanted to temper it. And also knowing that, um, you know, your, your ego is your greatest hurdle your greatest trap. Um, but there is also a part of me that wants to say, just watch. Hmm. I know my heart. I know my heart. I know that I'm in this for the love of the people. I do have a a pretty good connection <laughs> I think to this medicine um, and so i want I want people to to feel safe and confident in what we're doing, and at the same time I don't fucking care because I know that we're doing the right thing. You remember, remember what Rick Dodlin said at the conference about uh, Tim Leary when he was at, he was asking Tim leary like how do how do we uh, how do we do this you know in the way that gets approved by the government blah 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 and Tim Leary said. Fuck (laughs) the government. He's like, I'm done asking for permission. Like I'm not asking for fucking permission from the psychedelic community or anybody else to practice what is my spirituality. Like there are recordings from me at age five talking about mushrooms. Right? Like my mushroom trips have shown me clearly that this has been a part of my path since before I walked this time. And so, like, I don't think that we need to ask permission from anybody to do God's work, but we need to make sure that is like you said that it is a calling from spirit and not our own ego wanting to do whatever you know
0: i am listening to a book uh, called the creative act a way of being by rick rubin and just yesterday and i and i will totally butcher this but he was sort of comparing or, or juxtaposing the, the creative process and the artist and how once it's documented it's no longer creative mm-hmm. once once a piece mm-hmm. of art has been created mm-hmm. it's it's no longer art really mm-hmm. and i guess i i will say two things that there is there is some you're pushing buttons and from the first time that we met you were pushing some of mine mm-hmm. and at the same time I guess I just want to publicly say thank you for sort of leading the way. I don't know if I would follow exactly in the to the degree or speed that you are running, but mm-hmm. without some of the work that you're doing, I don't think that I would be doing some of the work that I'm doing and I can probably say that about hundreds of people that are are in the Sanctuary Ministry. So I think we all have to find our own comfort level and I appreciate that there are other people doing stuff that probably feels a little more like art than it does protocol because it's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. been written down
1: yet. Mhm. Mm-hmm. No, I I mean I if there's any one thing that I would consider myself it's an artist, um, you know, I I my garden, if you see my garden, how I grow things, you know, it's like I, I truly I love what you said about that because that really very well embodies kind of the spirit behind this. I want this to be a constantly growing and dynamic. And when I said that that whole thing about maybe you're right about my critics, like I am very open to taking criticism and applying it where you know where it's uh, helpful or meaningful. I, I, I love. One of the things that I love most about Sanctuary is that we're getting constant feedback from our community, and we are constantly adjusting and growing and trying to meet the needs and desires of the community. Sanctuary is not about me. It's about our community. Fortunately, what is very different in this model as well is that not only am I a uh, whatever, a leader or or organizer, but I'm also part of the community. I didn't get that in Jamaica. You know, in Jamaica, people come down, they want you to save their life, and then they go off, and it's like, oh, Eric did this, or Eric didn't do this, and Eric's got these employees and all this stuff, and, like, I need it too. I need you as much as you need me. And so in this model, where we're all at the same level, that's where we all get to have fun and get to create and be be the artists that we are.
0: I remember uh, – psychedelic science Bob Jesse and Michael Pollan are having a conversation and towards the end of that conversation he said there's two kinds of folks that are using Rifra right now there are two kinds of churches I think there's mm-hmm. a church that is really building community and trying to get people together to heal in a really healthy way and they just happen to be using psilocybin or happen to be using a psychedelic as, a, as one of the tools in that and then there's also people that are uh, using Rifra as a way to sell uh, psychedelics in mass quantities and attempt to be legal mm-hmm. let's leave out the second half and let's talk just for a moment. My last question really for you is is that first piece. Mm-hmm. People who are genuinely interested in creating a healing community using psychedelics under Rifra what advice what 's the best advice that you would give them? Wow
1: well, let me just say that, that that conversation was one of my favorite. I was so impressed with bob jesse i did not I did not expect that. I was massively impressed with him, so you know when I do criticize Michael Pollan's and kind of the ones that just kind of present this gloss of psychedelics uh, i was I was super impressed, and there are certainly folks that I can say, "Yes, fuck, yes, what you just said, I am all so anyway, um, that was one of them. If you are sincere and you really um,
0: <laughs> start with
1: community, start with community. But that you know, there's also some some nuance there as well because there are um, secular communities and there are spiritual communities. Sanctuary is very clearly a spiritual community. If you come on our Sunday service, you will hear that we talk about spiritual matters. Um, we are not here. I mean, there are plenty of people like when people come in the community and they're like, Oh, so how do I get mushrooms? I'm like, not like that. That's not how you do it for sure. Um, you know, so there's a, there is an element of realistic, uh, real world work that involves legal setup and organizational structure. And all of that is actually super important. Very important. And we spent a solid six months working with attorneys developing our bylaws, really since like our code of ethics, if you read our code of ethics, you will see that we are, we spend some real time there. Um, and so starting with that piece is, is really crucial. Um, and then I just had a conversation with a guy today who was talking about, you know, wanting to start a sanctuary in another city. And, you know, I said to him basically like, you know, go start building community right now, come back to me in six months. If you're building community and you're really serious and committed to this work, then you will build community and just talk about psychedelics. Don't don't even worry about access right now. You know, Um, and at the same time, you know, that's also in a big way. That's what I have hoped sanctuary could be from the beginning is all of that hard legwork that we put in all of that uh, intentional design that is approachable um, is in the hopes that. Sincere practitioners who want a community, a dynamic community where they can learn and grow themselves—that uh, you can come in and not have to worry about necessarily doing all the building, all the legalities, and all that kind of stuff. You know, the church, the churches have an incredible opportunity to collaborate, which the for-profit models don't have. Right? That is another a really important and valuable piece in this. Um, and then there is also the reality that. There is strength in numbers, and if we are going to try and really shift the public perception, the public opinion, not just around psychedelics, now around psychedelic churches, then um, I think there's a lot of value in having, you know, some some really strong communities that are able to wave that banner from different points on the globe and say we are all in this together. And that doesn't mean like that again. It it doesn't. To me, it doesn't denote competition uh, amongst churches. It it says that we can all come together and we can all have our own perspective brought under this. We can share ideas, exchange knowledge, and there will be people that come into sanctuary and go and start their own churches. Like 100, great with that. You know, so just build community. Don't focus on the psychedelics first. You can you can do integration. You can do all kinds of conversation. You can do harm reduction conversations and all that stuff. But if you are really in it to develop a legitimate church, then see how much you enjoy starting community. You know, years ago, before I started Michael Meditations, I mean, long before Michael Meditations, back in like '90 or it's probably 2001 or something like that, I started a uh, what I was calling community time. I went at the local library. I would just ha- invite people to come around, drink tea, and talk about. Anything vulnerable anything they want to talk about and that's why I love psychedelics because it opens up the space where you can really engage in deep subject matter that is triggering that's vulnerable uh, that requires you to face you know challenging content and I guess maybe one of the last things that I would just add here in terms of you know Eric and kind of how he's perceived out there and the triggers and all that kind of stuff. I kind of think that I I do on a daily basis what the mushrooms do in a lot of ways, right? That's what I hope anyway. I hope that like my spirit I I, I take on because I love Eric, man. I'm like, and you can. It, it doesn't matter if if I'm like if if I come across as critical or if I'm like moving too far too fast or whatever. Probably what I don't do a really good job at communicating is like. We can, I still want to hear from you. We can talk. I'm like, just, just if, I, if I'm coming at this with passion and driven and I'm like feeling like I'm seeing into the future, that does not mean that I'm against you. It actually, I'm actually for you. I'm for your progress. And, you know, sometimes the mushroom is a harsh teacher. Sometimes the mushroom is like, Hey, it's time to sit the fuck down and realize. And sometimes the mushroom is like, ah, let's have a good time, you know? And I think that I, in many ways embody that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I would say I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree to yes, (laughs) you embody that a couple of quick speed round questions. Uh, first, why do you do the work
1: for my human family? Because we deserve it. It is our birthright.
0: Hmm. What is the most important thing this work has taught you
1: that in healing, we are healed.
0: And the best advice you'd give someone new on their path from a, let's say from a facilitator perspective, take a bunch more mushrooms. <laughs> this was to be expected. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that, well, actually before we, uh, before I ask that question, if people are looking for you online and want to connect, uh, where would they do that?
1: Um, my personal social media, is a uh, reverend Spore Spreader on instagram um and we have my wife and i have a podcast called psilocybin says um there's a social media platforms for that as well that you could uh, reach out on to
0: Sanctuary.org?
1: just sanctuary but sanctuary.org yep oh
0: sanctuary.org
1: my, my, my courtney was like when we when we Came with this name Sanctuary. She's like, you know, people are going to say p- Sanctuary. I'm like, baby, they don't say p- psilocybin. They don't say p- psychology. So I'm going to start having to say p- psilocybin now.
0: <laughs> is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't?
1: Man, this has been a very thorough and very enjoyable one of one of the most so far. You know, a lot of people are because this is new. They're kind of asking the surface level questions, but because of your experience in this world, uh, I think that you're able to come at it from a very different perspective. So I don't know, man, I think we covered quite a bit of ground here. Um, I think there is, there is a lot more room for this conversation around, uh, facilitator dosing. Um, but maybe we can save that for another day.
0: There's two or three topics. When we go back and listen to this again, there's probably two or three topics (laughs) we can uh, set up for round two. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, uh, and best of luck with Sanctuary and, uh, we'll catch you on the flip side.
1: All right, GV. Thank you so much, brother.
0: Thanks for tuning into the Psychedelic IQ podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would really mean a lot if you could leave us a positive review. If you're a practitioner working with psychedelics, please subscribe to the podcast or join the free community at psychedelicIQ.com. And if you're looking for deeper connections, knowledge sharing, and even peer support, please consider joining a mastermind at psychedelicmasterminds.com. Thanks, have a great day, and remember you're perfect and you're right on time.